All right, welcome to Thrive. Stealing your stand, Almond. Um, for you guys that don't know me, my name is John White. Um, my wife and I have been going here uh, for a little over a year. I'm one of the teaching pastors for Thrive. Um, last week, how many people were here last week? Raise your hand. One. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, last week we actually uh, were pretty excited about uh, the service last week. We actually got our first baptism on the Thrive service. Um, yeah, you can go ahead and clap. It's awesome. And not only was it special because it was our first baptism, but it was one of my best friends from high school. And that was just really cool that uh, we got to share that. Um, but this uh, sermon series, we've been talking about losing my religion. Um, what does that mean? What do you guys think that means? Um, it's country slang for losing your cool. How many, t- how many people lose their cool in here? Anybody step on a Lego like at 3 a.m.? I know. Sometimes one of the things that makes me lose my cool is when I'm in the car with my kids and I'm praying to God, like, just give me two more inches on this right hand so I can reach back and just <laughs> grab one of them. But he didn't, so my kids are safe because they know that line, like, how far they got to be. They'll be like, what are you going to do, Dad? <laughs> but that's what it means. It means losing your cool. Um, but it can also mean something positive. Um, if it means if you are comparing religion to relationship with Jesus Christ, because sometimes it's a good thing to lose your religion. Um, two weeks ago, we listened to Blake talk, and he talked about uh, how religion is a man-made attempt to reach God, and he brought up the Tower of Babel. Um, he also ended up uh, talking about religion ends up doing the very opposite of what God desires, and that Jesus is far above and beyond any religion of this world. Um, last week, Joey actually talked about how we could keep from falling in the traps of religion. Um, you need to value mercy over orthodoxy, um, compassion over condemnation, and uh, value people over preferences. And then also to uh, always value the eternal over the immediate. And that's something, a couple series back, we talked about that also. Uh, but tonight, if you put up my first slide, we're going to be talking about how to lose your religion. Um, and so we're going to be camping out in Luke chapter 15 a lot. Um, and basically what, uh, in chapter 15, Jesus uses one of his best teaching tools as he talks in parables. Basically, chapter 15 is made up of three parables. And um, everybody know what a parable means? For you that don't know what it means, it's basically a teaching story. And it kind of has two meanings. One's kind of usually hidden, so you've got to dig into it. Um, but it's made up of three parables. The first two parables, it's the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. Uh, I'm not going to get into those two. They are really good. But those two show the God the Father's heart uh, of love for the lost souls. So if something's lost, um, you're going to, uh, he's going to find it. Um, the uh, last parable, though, the one we're going to be camping on, is a parable of the lost son. And it shows a clash of religion versus relationship. And in short, um, it's, a, it's the parable of the prodigal son. In short, it's a rebellious son um, asks his father for his inheritance. And then he goes out and goes wild. So he goes far away, moves away, goes wild, he gets in a pinch, and then he comes back home. And instead of listening to me read this, because it's almost the whole chapter 15, is we have a video that we're going to show. It's a little long, but if you just pay attention, it's awesome. Do you ever get tired of your boring day-to-day life? I know I do. 
I should say that I did. Then I decided to do something about it. You see, conventional wisdom says that you live your life and then your parents die and they give you whatever they have left over, an inheritance. (laughs) I'm sorry, that just wasn't good enough for me. So I decided to do something about it, you know? I want my money right now. So one day, I walked right up to my dad and I said to him, Dad, I want what's coming to me right now. That's what my youngest son said to me. I want what's coming to me right now. All I could think of that moment was, I'd like to give you what's coming to you right now. I brought him into this world, and I can make another one just like him. But he's my son, and I love him. So I gave him his money and told him if he could have a better life on his own without me, so be it. He packed his bags, and the next thing I knew, I was out of there. Kissed this boring place goodbye. I had places to go, people to see. So the first thing I did was, my son got lost. I love him, but he's no Magellan. I heard he had to stop for directions at least four times before he even made it out of our hometown. You know what? No, not four, okay? It was three. And, and one of them wasn't even my fault. I, I couldn't understand what the guy was saying. I was just like, okay, thank you. And besides that, The only reason I can't follow directions is because somebody never taught me to follow directions. Don't go there. Okay, look. The point is, I got out of there, and I started to live it up. I mean, I had more friends than I knew what to do with. I was eating like a king. I had the finest clothes, and the ladies. (laughs) What can I say about the ladies? I can say something about the ladies. They were women, but they were not ladies. Okay, okay, you know what? Never mind. The, the thing was, life was good. Until? Until my son's money ran out around the same time a recession hit our country. There, there wasn't any work to be found. I, I mean, I tried. I really tried. But there just weren't jobs. Eventually, I found a job. It wasn't bad. It was a manager's position. It was an associate position at the... Okay, I was a bacon preparation assistant. Which means? I fed pigs. I hated that job. I didn't pay much. I I didn't have enough money for a place to live. There were many days I didn't even have enough money to eat. Sometimes I was so hungry, I would gladly have eaten the disgusting scraps I was feeding the pigs, but I couldn't. They wouldn't let me. So hunger pains is a constant reminder of how I'd squandered everything my father had given me. I lived in agony day after day. Day after day after day I'd watch and I'd wait for my son to come home and my heart would ache as only a parent's heart could for his own child. But hear me on this. I never gave up on him. I never gave up on him. I knew that it would happen one day. One day it hit me. One day I realized that The lowliest of my father's workers lived better than I did. At at least they had a place to live and food to eat, and I didn't have either one of those things. So I wondered, what if he never comes to his senses? What if he lets pride just get in the way? No, no. I will see him again. Again and again. These thoughts ran through my head as I began my journey back to my father's house. I knew what I would do. Um... There's no way that I would accept a handout, and and I couldn't expect him to take me back as his son. So I would ask him to hire me on as a worker. I mean, maybe he would do that. Just maybe. Maybe today will be the day that my son will come home, 
That's what I would say every morning when I'd wake up. Maybe today will be the day that I would see him off in the distance as he makes his way back home. Home. That word means so many things. Comfort, care, security, love, home. I couldn't believe I was just a few hundred yards away from it. It was a beautiful day. I was sitting on my front porch, and that's when I saw him. He stood up out of his chair. He looked in my direction. He squinted his eyes to get a better look at me. And then I began to wonder, what if he doesn't take me back? What if... What if I get to him and he just looks at me and he says, I, I told, told you, you so, so, I told, I told you. you so. Some of you would just roll your eyes every time I mentioned my son. But I knew he would come back. I just knew. I just knew this was a bad idea. I knew I shouldn't have done this and so I just stopped. He just stood there. I couldn't move. I couldn't just stand there so he jumped. My dad literally jumped off the porch. I'd never seen him do anything like that before. It was like he was this little kid who was excited about something. And then it hit me. He was excited about me. So you know what I did next? I I ran. ran. My heart was pounding so fast, I just had to get to him. I'd never seen him run so fast. He was running at me with his arms stretched out wide as if to say, Welcome home. Welcome home. That's what I kept shouting to him. But I don't know if he could hear me, so I just kept shouting it over and over. All I wanted to do was just scoop him up in my arms like he was when he was like a little child and just let him know that everything was going to be okay. And as I got closer to him, I could see tears running down his face. He was crying. Tears of joy. And you know what my son did next? (laughs) I jumped. I was nervous. I was excited. And so I literally jumped. And you know what my father did? Well, I fell backwards. He's a big boy. (laughs) And then, and then he hugged me. And he embraced me like only a father can. I kept saying over and over again, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I don't deserve to be called your son. My son is back. Get him some clean clothes. Uh, Let's give him a meal. No, a feast. For my son will no longer live as an orphan. For all my hopes have come true. I guess it was hope. Hope that made me start that journey back home. Hope that got me through all the miles. A hope that my father would take me back and somehow I could be forgiven. Forgiven. It's all forgiven. And I will never bring it up ever again. There is no shame. There is no guilt. For my son was lost. And now he is found. stay away from that thing because I don't want it screeching in my ear. All right, so it's an awesome story, and I really think that brings it to life. But the young son, he's basically telling the father, you know, I love you, Dad, but you're worth more to me dead than you are right now because I want my inheritance and I want to go party. And the father takes a massive financial hit. He starts liquidating his assets, and he gives his son his third of his... uh, inheritance. And so the son goes out and he parties. It's like he moves to Florida, like if he's from here. And then he, uh, basically a recession hits. And he's done, he's down at nothing. He's done pawned his Xbox and his car, his TV, 
And then he turns back to his dad and he acknowledges his sin. And he does a complete 180, which is repentance. Um, and then I love the part of the story where the father's sitting on the front porch and then he sees his son coming. Because you know, the whole time he's gone, that the father's probably always looking over his shoulder to see if his son's coming. And uh, when he finally sees him, in the Bible it says he took off running towards him. Now back then, men didn't run. First of all, they had sandals on. Have anybody tried to run in sandals? It's like running with like concrete feet. And, uh, and then not only that, is they had this huge robe on with an undergarment. And so the only way they could run is they would hike it up. And can you imagine how white those legs are? Because, you know, they don't see sun. And so that's what he does. He don't even care. He hikes up his, I ain't going to call it a dress. He hikes up his robe, and he takes off running to his son to meet him. And that's just, that's just like God the Father. You know, like when we, we're out sinning, and we're away from him, and in that moment we realize, like, I'm so stupid. It's time to go and come back to God. And God doesn't sit there and wait for us to come back. God meets us. And just like the father in the story, he met his son. Took off running. Um, and the father had every right to disown, beat, or even kill his son. And sometimes we do that, right, with our words. When somebody, like, is sinned against us, we'll be like, we'll beat them, you know, uh, verbally. Uh, it's easy to identify with the younger rebel son. Uh, we've all been there, right? <clears throat> but for the rest of the uh, sermon, I'm going to focus on the uh, older brother. They didn't get into the elder brother, so we're actually going to have to uh, pull up the slide, um, pull up the story. And what the older brother does is he favors ritual over relationship. And uh, if we pick up in the story in Luke 15, it's starting at 28, basically the other brothers, older brother's out in the field and he's working and he's looking at the horizon, and he sees there's a big commotion. And so he doesn't hear from the father at first. He hears from another worker, and he says, hey, your younger brother's back, and we're having a feast. We're going to party. We're killing the, you know, the fattened calf. And he gets mad. And so the older brother gets angry, and he refuses to go into the party. And this is the point where the father has to go outside. And you know all the people and the guests are on the inside in the party, you know, celebrating the return of the younger brother, and they're all, like, whispering, like, Hey, where's he going? You know, because he had to leave the head of the table. And so the father goes out and he pleads with him. Um, and the, the older brother says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and I never disobeyed your orders. And you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. And then dad says, <clears throat> look, you know, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate and be glad because... This brother of yours was dead and is alive again. And he was lost and when he's now found. And when I first got done reading that story, the parable, I was like, where's the Hollywood ending? Like, we don't even get to hear, like, what happens next. And I feel like the Bible kind of left us hanging. Does anybody else feel like that? Like, well, what happened? Because, you know, the older brother just was like, oh, okay, let's go in and party. You know, but instead, if you listen to this, Jesus is... is waiting for us to write the end of this story, you know, with our lives. It's Jesus saying, hey, take my, take my arm, join the family, enter the feast of my grace. And it's up to us if we want to be like, no, I'm still mad. I don't want to go in. You know, this younger brother here, he's partying, and I'm, I'm really mad. But it's kind of in our court. So why doesn't the elder brother go in? And if you look and think about it, he's a carbon copy of the younger brother. It's all about getting his hands on the money. 
Uh, you see, both sons are gold diggers. The first one did a power play, and he asked for his money, and he moved away. The second one, he did, uh, the older brother, he stayed home. He kept the rules. He worked hard, and he's trying to earn it. And then he despises the fact that the father has given away the wealth. But if you think about it, it's actually grace. And it's just being handed around. It's given away. And he thinks it should be earned. You know, he's saying, look what I did. Look what I did, and I'm getting nothing for it. Um, but that's what religion does. It causes us to focus on the weakness of man and not on the goodness of God. Um, and it also demands more repentance and more punishment. You know, if you think about it, there's one way to avoid Jesus. This is, it's not true, but we believe there's one way to avoid Jesus is we need to perform at such a high rate and a high level that you don't need a Savior. Instead, we're going to make God owe us. Um, but I got a question for you, because we're all guilty of it, even if you're like, I ain't guilty of that. Let's say you died, and you go to, to the pearly gates, and then you're asked a question, why should you be let into heaven? How many of you would say, well, I've worked hard every day of my life, and I've been good, and I've served on committees, I've helped the poor, you know, I've tithed, I've established the Flourlich Foundation of Goodness and Gratitude. Did I say that right? I figured I didn't. <laughs> the Flourlich Foundation of Goodness and Generosity. No? I don't care. You know, but if they're just saying, hey, we're good people, this is a form of lostness. I mean, you're, being, you're lost, and you don't even realize it. You guys are older brother lost. Um, so how do you lose this religion? So we're going to look at Romans. If you pull that up, Romans 3. And then it says, Therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law we become conscious of our sin. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Okay, so we learn one is we cannot earn God's acceptance by keeping the law. Because there was like over 600 laws, but then why have them? And he tells us here, it's the purpose of the law is to show your need for a Savior. If you hit the next slide, Pete. Because until you see yourself as a sinner, you won't recognize your need for a Savior. Uh, religion can't save you. Keeping the laws and the goodness and the, it can't save you. I'm burning up. Don't. I'm not going to pass out or nothing, I promise. <laughs> Um, now I just totally lost my place. Okay, righteousness. All right, so righteousness means we're just going to be made right with God. And who does that come through? It comes by Christ alone. It doesn't come by Christ plus good works, or Christ plus money given away to charities, or Christ plus coming to church and being being a good person. You know, God did not send Jesus to give us religion. God sent Jesus to give us a relationship with him. Uh, what religion does, it reduces Christianity down to rules. And then what happens to this, it cheapens the cross. Stace, can you give me that rope? This is a uh, demonstration of, you know, thank you, of um, what we need to keep our eyes on. All right, so I need you to imagine two things. One is this rope goes on forever. It doesn't stop right here by uh, that sweet drum set. It goes on forever. It goes around the world three times, and it just goes on forever. And it's two is this rope represents a timeline of your existence. And this little red part, can you guys see the red? 
from here to here. This red part represents your time on earth. And the rest of this is your eternity somewhere else. Isn't it funny that we all care about this little red part? You know, we're consumed with it. We're like, if I save money right here, I'm going to have a really good life right here. And I'm going to retire right here, and I'm going to get fat and fish all day long right here. You know, we're just consumed with it. You know, and we're going to travel, we're going to save money, and we're just going to be happy, and I'm going to make myself really comfortable because this is so important to me. But what the Bible tells us is what we do in this little red part determines how we're going to live in the rest of this. And this goes on forever. This doesn't stop right there. These are, this is millions and billions and billions of years. So why do we make ourselves and we wear ourselves to be comfortable and enjoy ourselves in this little red part? Instead, we need to invest our life and live out the mission. And Paul, in the Bible, he says, keep your eye on the goal. Keep your eye on, on the prize. And just keep pushing forward to the end. Because, you know, you get one chance on here on earth. And um, the sad thing, it can end at any time. I mean, it can end at any second. I could walk out this door here and get hit by a car. A car probably wouldn't kill me. It'd probably be a truck. Like a Mack truck. Nobody try to hit me with your car. Um, but we get one chance at life, and, you know, we don't want to do it. But what happens is a lot of times we're like... We're so worried about feeling stupid because what we do here will affect what we do here. If we start tithing right and giving some of our money away to the poor, we can't afford that huge vacation. And all of our friends are like, you are dumb to like give money to that homeless person. You know, in reality, you need to be like, no. You know, I'm not stupid for doing that because what I do here affects how I'm going to live here. That's, that's stupid. If we're worried about being comfortable and staying in this little red part and not having our friends laugh at us, because we're not going to, we don't want to come out of our comfort zone. But the Bible says how we live our life in this red part determines where we're going to spend eternity. I mean, do you really want to, it doesn't end there, it keeps going. Do you really want to, you know, just keep living your life to where you're worried about other people? And the only way to do that, to lose your religion, is you need to drop the rules and drop the religion and find a relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, there's a couple different ways we can respond tonight. If you feel like this message has really touched you and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, I beg you, I beg you tonight, find somebody. You can talk to me. You can talk to, to Chris here and get that relationship with Jesus Christ. Because you can't work your way into heaven. You're not going to be good enough to be like, well, I helped 57 old ladies cross the road. That's not going to get you to heaven. Or just come to the church. That ain't going to get you to heaven. You know, the Bible even talks about that where he's going to say, you know, you're going to come up there and be like, I finally made it to heaven. Let me in the gates. And they said, what's going to happen is God's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you even though you sat in the back of the church every Sunday. Because coming through these doors isn't going to save you. It's starting that relationship. 
That's what's going to save you. So I beg you, if you have no idea what I'm talking about being, being saved, I know these are really weird words, or having a relationship, you know, with somebody you can't see, come and talk to me. You can talk to Jeff. You can talk to Todd. Um, and get that fixed tonight. Because we have no idea when this red's going to stop. See that part right there where it turns to white? That means you're gone. And you're going to exist somewhere. It's not like if you didn't believe in, in God, you're just going to float away to nothingness. You're going to exist somewhere. And I beg you, make it right with Jesus Christ. Start a relationship with him. But if you're a believer and you also, you know, feel led that you want to, uh, you know, respond financially, if God's blessed you with um, finances where you can afford to, uh, to tithe, you don't even have to tithe with money if you feel led to tithe with your time. We have a ton of stuff going on here at Burlington. You can uh, get invested into a small group. Uh, I'm sure you guys have seen the, the videos of the marriage retreat coming up. It's an awesome time. If you guys are married and you want to just blow your marriage up and just get more close than you can ever imagine, I encourage you to come Sunday nights on our, uh, our marriage small group and then invest a little bit of money it takes to go to the marriage retreat. Um, another way to respond is uh, to do communion. We have the communion table set up on both sides here. Um, basically, communion is just thinking back about what Jesus Christ did for you. It's kind of like when you ever sit around on a front porch with a friend and you start, hey, you remember that time when you did this and this? But this friend did something really cool. This friend died for you. And so this is a time just to remember that. And uh, communion is just not for Easter. It's like, well, I can only do communion once time, you know, once a, once a year. That's, that's religious rules. Just drop it. I like to remember what Jesus Christ did for me every day. Every morning when I wake up, I'm like, thank the Lord, I got another day. Now if I just get my arm longer so I can reach my kids in the car. But, um, but these are the ways to do it. So as Chris opens up in this uh, last song, this is the time to respond. Uh, we got the tithing up here. We have the communion off to the sides. This altar's open. Um, the altar is where your life's altered. If you've never come up and prayed and got down on your hands and knees at the altar and really talked to God, try it out. It's awesome. It's really cool. Um, but if you just bow your heads and pray with me, Lord, just thank you so much for this awesome weather that you've given us and for everybody that came out and to the Thrive Service, Lord. Just thank you for your, sending your son, Jesus Christ, to come down and take away our sin. And not just the sins that we've already committed, but the stupid sins I'm going to do later on in my life, tonight, tomorrow. Lord, I just beg you to put on the heart of any non-believer in this room that if they don't know you, that they felt led to start that relationship and step out of the normalcy of, of life, of where people just say, you know what, you're weird for going to church on a Saturday night. And you say, yeah, I am weird. And just come up and just talk to us about starting that relationship and just getting rid of all this religion and the rituals and the rules and stop thinking about how it's going to affect our life. And we're going to start thinking about the eternity. Think about the white. Get out of the red. Stop living in the red. 
stop making ourselves comfortable in the red and just use that to help determine where we're going to spend eternity. Because people think about their lives as being, you know, done and over with towards the end when they're getting ready to die. But God says, no, you haven't even got past the, the beginning. You're still in the table of contents because what I designed for you is to be with me and that's your life. At the end of your life, that's not the end of your story. That's not even chapter one yet. Lord, I just thank you for everything you've given my life and just thank you for this service and thank you for Chris and everybody here that they allow you to just speak the love of it on them. But we ask all these things in your name. Amen.